As I mentioned, this was prepared partially back in September last year, and I was going to preach it at harvest time, but I wasn't here at harvest time, so we're preaching it now. And it fits today because it's the beginning of harvest time as far as the resurrections are concerned. Now, right now, we're not harvesting wheat, so sorry, fellas, who are in the, out there doing that. We're, but <clears throat> where I was working the week before last, they just started harvesting the, the spuds, potatoes. We call them spuds down there. <laughs> but they were starting to harvest them. They get about 19 tonnes an acre, and so they reap quite a lot of weight. And then, then we enjoy the chips and so forth. They, um, <clears throat> the grapes have been harvested and are being harvested down that way. I don't know about around here. Apples have done, chestnuts are being harvested from down that area. If you have not been there, you don't know how fruitful that area is. They say that in that area, on the east side of Melbourne, there's more money turned over in produce than all of the Wimmera. So that's substantial in that area. So harvest time, if we were down there and preaching this, they'd say, yes, it's harvest time for the fruits of their hard labours. The resurrection is the first gathering of God. And they've, they've, they're used in that, that word is used as relation in relation to the resurrection. Listen to what Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 10 tells us, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. So it's called a gathering like you go and gather the crop in, you go and gather the chestnuts or gather the potatoes, whatever harvest it is. God's got a gathering program and it's not all at once. Some of it, part of it has already happened, 2,000 almost, well, 2,000, almost, yes, years ago. About 2027 to 2033, somewhere in that area, it'll be 2,000 years from that time when this gathering happened. Today we're reminded of the death and burial and resurrection as Passover comes around once again. This is the central service of the year for many churches and even in Israel. <laughs> Not in the way we look at it, of course. One day they will recognise it, but not yet. This weekend, when history is written and all the prophecies have been fulfilled will be seen as the central part of time. And it'll probably be, I can say, the central part of eternity. From creation to Christ was around 4,000 years. And at least to the end is going to be 3,000 years. And so right at the centre is the cross. Without the cross, we're all doomed. Without the death, the burial and the resurrection... We have no hope for eternity. All those things in the Old Testament and all <clears throat> the times they got together, the feasts that they had were pointing to that point, <laughs> pointing to the cross. And when history is written, yes, it is the centre of all things that have happened. 
On the first day of the week, very early, the beginning of the gatherings of God occurred, when Christ, the first fruits, he is called, was raised from the dead. And that's found in 1 Corinthians 15, 23. It all started with the growing hatred of the religious leaders against the Lord during his ministry. Let's pray before we look at the body of the sermon. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And I pray as we consider the scriptures and we gather them together about the gatherings of God that our hearts would appreciate what you have done on our behalf that we could not do for ourselves. That you paid the ultimate price for the purchase of our redemption. Paid in full. And now we can rejoice in the forgiveness and the love and the grace and the mercy of God because of what the Lord Jesus has done. Bless our hearts as these things are considered. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> if you'd like to turn to a portion of Scripture, we'll be taking a few thoughts from. To start with, it's Matthew chapter 26. Back there in chapter 12 and verse 14 of Matthew, these evil, wicked religious leaders, these vicious Venomous words were shared by them about the Lord Jesus. They plotted to kill him, how they might destroy him. It said in Matthew twenty-one fifteen, they were sore displeased with what he was saying about himself and about the nation of Israel and about their religious system. <laughs> Chapter 23 of Matthew, they must have been irated and that stirred them right up to the point of crucifying him when he said, woe, woe, woe to you Pharisees. In chapter 26 and verse 4, we start with different thoughts from this chapter. 26 and verse 4. And consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety and kill him. They were doing this in an underhanded way, in a subtle way. In verse 59 of chapter 26, we read there, Now the chief priests and the elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death. They summoned false witnesses. Chapter 27 and verse 2. And when they had bound him, they led him away to deliver him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Because they couldn't issue the edict of death, they got Pilate to work along their evil plan. In verse 67 of chapter 26, they spat in his face they buffeted and smote him verse 26 of 27 they delivered him to be crucified verse 28 they stripped him in verse 29 they crowned him and mocked him and again they spat and smote him they spat upon him and smote him in verse 30 then they did the ultimate thing they crucified him and verse 35 they set over his head this accusation written this is Jesus king of the Jews in verse 37 that is verse 35 they crucified him and parted his garments casting lots now all this was a fulfillment of a particular psalm and not just one but other references in the old testament was it not in psalm 22 verses 6 and 8 we read where the lord <coughs> 
is prophesying, well, David is prophesying of the Lord, said, I am a worm and a no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All they who see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake their heads, saying he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. And down in verse 12, where the Lord was on the cross, this is how he viewed it. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. I don't know if you've been in a paddock with a heap of bulls. <laughs> you're all eyes. You're, you're doing a full circle just to see that they're not coming your direction. When I was on the race on the farm, those, those things. And you got them in the yard. I didn't get in with them. I let the other people do that. And uh, we didn't have goads in those days. <laughs> But this is the way the Lord felt, compassed, encompassed by the bulls of Bashan, strong bulls. They gaped upon me with their mouths like a ravening and roaring lion as he was on the cross. These are the things that he felt was happening. He knew that the old devil was there goading these people on to do what they were doing. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within me. And so you can read down to verse 18. And they parted my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. So these vicious and venomous words and actions of these religious people happened to the Lord Jesus as he gave his life for us. This death was a voluntary death. In the book of John, John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18 we read this therefore doth my father love me because i lay down my life that i might take it again no man taketh it from me we've just read how they took it from him but he said no man taketh it from me <laughs> i lay it down on myself he what could have he done he could have dispelled all those wicked men he could have with a word changed the whole situation he had the power to do it but he had the will not to do it he he was going all the way to pay for your sin for my sin on that cross on that cruel cross i have power to take it again this commandment have i received of my father this was a voluntary death and remember that pilate when he ordered the bodies to be taken down of the lord and the two thieves he marveled when they said the, the Christ has already died. He marveled that he'd so soon died in Mark sixteen forty four. Why? Because they didn't take it from him. He gave his life. And on the cross he said that, you know, it is finished. All the requirements, all the prophecies that pointed to this time of him on the cross were finished. And he gave up the ghost. He chose when to die. Though they, as we see, crucified him. So it was a voluntary death. It was a vicarious death. And we have this mentioned in Peter. First Peter chapter um, 2, <clears throat> we read in verse 23, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him, that is his father, that judgeth righteously, who his own self bore our sins in his own body on the tree. 
that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. This was done by him on our behalf. He did not die for his own sins. And how many churches today will be telling the people about works salvation? They'll be saying you've got to do this and you've got to do that and you've got to pay this, you've got to pay that. All these things you've got a list to do so that you might earn salvation. And that's fitting again in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he paid the price we could not pay. What does it say? Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. And anybody that is trusting their own works, their own filthy rags for their salvation, will not be in heaven. Because it's an insult to the Lord Jesus and his sacrifice to do so. It was a vicarious death. He took our place He stood in our stead. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. All the pictures of the Old Testament fulfilled in Christ. It was a vicarious death, a voluntary death. It was a vindicated death. (laughs) In 1 John 2, 2, the Father was propitiated by the offering of the Son. That means God was satisfied. Satisfied with the full payment of, that the, his son made on the cross for the sins of the world. And as I, it's hard to comprehend how that the Lord took upon himself all the sins of the world. And, and, and what volume does that involve? Well, right now, it's almost 6,000 years since creation. It is, sorry, it is already 6,000 years, back in 1990-something. According to their calculations, uh, <clears throat> And you think of all the wickedness, all the evil that has been committed from Adam till now. He bore all that in his own body on the tree. When we've been offended slightly, we get so upset sometimes. We go off in the old man and we, you know, I want my way. Well, God has been offended over and over again by every one of us. We are all sinners. He's been offended and he bore all that. We don't comprehend the weight of sin that he bore in his own body on the tree. When we consider everything, it's just enormous. All the wars, all the wickedness that happens. We need to be thankful that he died for our sins. Personally, the amount of sins that we have done the weight on his body, placed on him. It was a vicarious death. We could not die for our own sins. He died for us. It was a vindicated death, yes. The father accepted his son's sacrifice. In Matthew 7 verse, or 17 verse 5, it says, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's before the offering of the Lord, but... The father was saying, I am pleased with his ministry. I'm pleased with his life. In Acts 2.24, after the death, burial and resurrection, it says, whom God raised up. If God the father was not satisfied or propitiated by the death of his son, the son would not have been raised. He would be still in the tomb. But because the Lord Jesus lived a perfect, holy life, Godly, 
sanctified life, the Father could raise him up. He didn't sin in deed, nor word, nor thought in any way. Otherwise, the resurrection would not have happened. In chapter 13 and verse 30 of Acts, But God raised him from the dead. This is vindication of the Lord and his sacrifice. Chapter 27, verse 51 of Matthew, And the veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom, and the rocks were rent as the earth quaked. Who was doing that? Who was indicating this is the finished work, a completed work? It was the Father. The Father approving of his son's sacrifice for us. Let me turn that down. I made a promise. There we go. I don't want to see people, some people were, so we've done that. He was vanquished. He died and was buried. In chapter 13 and verse 29, And they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulchre. People say that, well, he only was unconscious. He didn't die. (laughs) Is that true? Do you believe that? No, I trust you don't. His body was vanquished. He did die. But (laughs) the question, Vivian, did God die? Remember that question (laughs) we asked out out on the link? What was the Lord Jesus doing after he died? Well, you can read it in Ephesians. You can read it in the book of 1 Peter. There he, w- he went down and he made a declaration to those that had sinned before the flood. He was well alive. The Lord Jesus died in his body on the tree to pay for our sins and his body was vanquished. It did die. It was a true death. Life had gone out of his body. And uh, in John twenty thirty eight to 42, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus came by night and begged the body of the Lord Jesus from Pilate. And he, gave, he allowed them to take the body and to embalm and entomb the body of the Lord Jesus. The victorious resurrection. Let's read that. Let's go back to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 28 and read of the occasion of the resurrection. And the end, in the end of the Sabbath... Chapter 28, verse 1, And as it was beginning to dawn, the first day of the week came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulchre. And behold, there was a great earthquake, and the angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment as white as snow. And for fear of him the keepers did shake and became as dead men the same men that went back to Pilate and took a bribe to say nothing about all this. And the angel answered and said unto the woman, Fear not, for I know that ye seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee, and there shall you see him. Lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulchre with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples word and there's mixed emotions there aren't there there's 
the fear and the great joy. And they went to tell his disciples, Behold, Jesus met them as they went, All hail! And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. And said, said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid, go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. The victorious resurrection. I, I, I trust that everyone here today believes in the resurrection. You do? There's a few nods. Praise the Lord. We need to believe. If he wasn't raised, we are in our sins, as Corinthians tells us. The vacant tomb, as it said in verse 6. He is not here, for he is risen. Come see the place where the Lord lay. And if you want to go over there and have a peek at a place, there's different places, but I... <laughs> There's the people say, but it was close to where the place of the skull is, and there is a an old a tomb there that they say is a place close, and it was only a few hundred, a few yards, I think under a hundred away from the place of the skull, and he is not he is as an empty tomb to prove that he's been raised. The vindication of his claim, the claim that he made back in John. John's Gospel, chapter 2 and verse 19, was fulfilled. This is John 2 and verse 19. Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was the temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spoke of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, even the disciples didn't understand it when he first said it, but when he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. And so it's a vindication of his claim. He is completely dependable. You can trust completely on the Lord and his word. And they believed, we believe today, that his word was vindicated, his body was destroyed, the temple destroyed, but he rose Again in three days. And the verification of, the, of his resurrection is seen in the portion of scripture in 1 Corinthians 15. And how many people saw him at once. And we'll look at that a little more in just a minute. The verification of his resurrection. In Acts 1.3 it reads, To whom he showed himself alive after his passion, his death, burial and resurrection, by many infallible proofs being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the kingdom of God. How much more proof do you want of the resurrection? Of the ver verification that it has happened. The world mocks, the world laughs, but we believe. <laughs> and our belief <laughs> will come to life in eternity with all the reality of what the resurrection means. With the body that we have that is immortal. Then there was the visible ascension. These things living people participated in. Verifying the resurrection. And this is found in Acts chapter 1 and verses 5 to 8. Well, starting with verse 8, for sake of time, but ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses both 
unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, and into Samaria, and uttermost parts of the earth, when he had spoken these things, while they beheld in their mortal bodies that were standing there, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. The visible ascension. He was taken up. It says it in verse 2 of chapter 1 of Acts as well. He visibly ascended. This was the beginnings of the gatherings of God. It's harvest time, folks. <laughs> at this time we think of it. This time of the year was the first fruits of the first resurrection. And when we come back, we'll consider that further in about four weeks' time. Lord willing, if we're still here. <laughs> the first fruits of the first resurrection had occurred. In John 12:24, it reads, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a corn of wheat, wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it shall bring forth much fruit. He was the Lord Jesus, as it were, a seed single planted, an individual planted. But when he rose, it began the gatherings of God that are still yet to happen, mainly. This is only the first fruits. And in Leviticus 23, it'd be wonderful to spend all afternoon talking about these things, but we haven't time. Leviticus 23, it talks there about <clears throat> the, the first fruits and the time to celebrate that and the sheaf that was come from that first fruit and how they were to remember that at that time, the first fruits of the harvest. And the Lord Jesus was the first fruits of the harvest to come. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind. God began to gather his son first and then they that were gathered at that time. In John's Gospel 14, 2 and 3, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, what did the Lord Jesus say? I will, I will come again and receive you unto myself. There is going to be a great gathering in the near future. And will it be a shock to the world? Will it be a shock to the world? And if you follow Bible truth and the word of God through, there's going to be a lot more gathered than we think because there's going to be a lot of children and I don't think the Lord will leave them for the terrible time to come. He will gather them too. Can you imagine parents with the children missing? No school tomorrow because there are no children. All, and they make up 2.2 billion of the people on planet Earth right now. And what a gathering it will be on that day of resurrection when the main harvest is taken. This is the first fruits we're talking about this morning, but the main harvest is yet to come. And in the epistle of 1 Corinthians, in chapter 15, we see the proofs of the first resurrection. He appeared to Peter in verse 5. He appeared to the apostles with Thomas absent. It says in verse 5 again, and verse 6, he appeared to 500 disciples at once. And in verse 7, his appearance to James, the half-brother of the Lord. And in verse, the later part of verse 7, he appeared 
the apostle with Thomas present, the apostles with Thomas present. He appeared to Paul in verses 8 to 11 on the road to Damascus. These are all proofs of the, res- of the first fruits of the resurrection. And let's go and read chapter 27 of the Gospel of Matthew, verse 50 and 54, to see what happened on that day. This is Matthew 27 and verse 50. When Jesus had cried again with a loud voice, he yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks were rent. And the graves were opened, and many of the saints that slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection. Notice there is an order here. It says the graves were opened... And many bodies of the saints that slept arose and came out of the grace after his resurrection. Who is the first fruits? Jesus Christ. And then these people follow. It seems like at that time the graves were opened, they didn't come forth, but after he was raised, they came forth. And what a day it would have been to be in Jerusalem. And they went into the holy city and appeared unto many. What would you do if you walked down the street of Jerusalem that day? I don't, it doesn't say who the Lord of the many that were raised. It doesn't say all were raised. It says many. And here comes Moses down the street. You know, it might have been Adam. I don't know who were raised, but you would be, you know, I think it was to the believers they, they had a good chat. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't we? <laughs> what are you doing here? You're, you're supposed to be dead. <laughs> but in the first fruits of the resurrection, they came out after he was raised and walked around the streets. And I believe that they didn't die again like um, Lazarus. They would have gone on into heaven with him from that point. And this is the first fruits. You see, the resurrection is not all at once. It is divided at different times. And in, in their order, they will come like troops coming, the army with troops coming through. The orders of the resurrection are spoken of in Matthew, I mean, in First Corinthians 15. And here they were walking around Jerusalem. <clears throat> Maybe it wasn't Adam and Moses. Maybe it was Abraham and, and Isaac and Jacob and the patriarchs and uh, but many of them were there. And Jerusalem's population was swelled that day with immortal bodies walking around. What more proof do people want? Why do people reject the message of the resurrection when it happened literally and here they were? <coughs> God gave them infallible proofs. And so we see the participants of the first resurrection mentioned in Matthew 27. The protest against this in back in 1 Corinthians 15 is given, and you'll allow me to go a little longer, it is Easter. <laughs> we are celebrating the death, burial and resurrection. But there in verse 12 of 15, now if Christ be priest that he rose from the dead, how say some among you there is no resurrection of the dead? No, these liberals, no, I don't call them liberals, I call them apostates that are filling the pulpits of our country with wickedness. 
who do not believe that he died and don't, therefore don't have to believe he rose again. They don't believe in the resurrection. Hell will be hotter for those people who have had the privilege to study and preach error. For this here is some people deny it. They protest against the resurrection. They still do it today. They did it back then. Paul assumed that they would do it as he wrote these things under inspiration. The doctrine of the resurrection is under attack and has been by the devil. The devil is full-time working today in all of the countries of the world to bring about a one-world government, everything else. He's bringing, it, he's bringing it to a head, but the Lord is in control. <laughs> the Lord is in control. They'll deny it all. And as I said, uh, again, I think I said it at the VIP meeting to the elderly folk gathered there, you know, we might all fit in a phone box when it's done because God said as it was in the days of Noah. It was Noah and his family. By the time it's all done, because people, shall he find faith when he comes? Shall he find faith? Believe it. Listen, folks, don't deny it. Don't walk away from your belief and in the word of God. It is true, it's going to happen, and it probably will happen, a lot of it, in your lifetime before you die. Wouldn't that be good? Amen? Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> that it, you know, I, I, don't look, I don't wake up this morning and say, am I going to die today? You know, I wake up and say, am I going up today? <laughs> Have I got my space suit on? And that space suit is not... Not one that they use to go to the moon. It's a robe of righteousness that is given to them that believe in these things. Ah, are you ready to go? <laughs> but are you protesting like these people? Well, I can't spend too much. There's the charge in verse 12. Then there's the conclusion that we have if Christ had, has not been raised. In, in verse 13 down to verse 19 here. In respect to Christ, if this is true, he hasn't been raised, the Easter story, the death, burial and resurrection is a lie. In respect to Christian preaching and the preaching of Christ, it is useless. Verse 14, and if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain. We're wasting our time here if that's the case. Eat, drink and be merry, for tomorrow you may die. Um, <clears throat> In respects to Christian preachers, in verse 15, Yea, we, he's talking about these preachers preaching the truth of the resurrection, are found false witnesses of God, because we've testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if be so be the dead rise not. And so we are all liars if this be the case. And it's not the case, of course. <laughs> but Paul's putting it like this. In respects to Christians... In the last part of verse 15, and your faith is also what? Vain. And verse 17, and if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain and you're yet in your sins. Ah, the, the resurrection is very important in regards to our eternity. Verse 19, if in this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all men what? Most miserable. Our trust is an empty, worthless, hopeless thing if Christ has not been raised. We're in our sins. We're most miserable of all creatures. 
and those who live, suffer and die for Christ, 29 to 31, are fools, is what Paul said. But he has been raised. But in regard to departed believers, in verse 18, those who have died, like my mum and my grandparents and and uh, friends all around, and I've got a lot more friends now that are gone than uh, are here, uh, been to, and you have, if you've lived long enough, been to many a funeral. And if Christ has not been raised, then they who are fallen asleep, who have died in Christ, are perished. That's the end. Have you been to a, I'm sure you have, to a funeral where the person was not a believer? Is it a happy occasion? Not at all. It's a sad, sad occasion. And you may have been to a Greek Orthodox wedding or something of that nature where there is no hope and they wail. It's sort of a place you don't want to be. But you understand why they are like that because there is no hope. But for the Christian who knows their departed friend or family is in heaven, there is great hope. And that's why we have memorial services that we rejoice that the person has gone and is absent from the body and is present with the Lord because we do believe in a resurrection. And the proclamation of the, resur- the first resurrection in verses 20 to 22, just a few verses and we'll finish now. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become what? The first fruits. That's why we're calling this the first fruits resurrection. Become the first fruits of them that slept. These, it's like the apple tree. <coughs> and I'm working down there. Sometimes you're working in orchards and telling you to push them all out. And there's apples all over them. And you have to stop now and then just pull one off. But if you happen to be doing it when it's early in the harvest time, there's only a few. You have to choose your apple. That's the first fruits. And then if they left the tree and didn't push it out, acres of them in heaps, there'll be a lot of apples, a main harvest. And then if you left the apple tree long enough, there'll be still those that are green that you pick later. They're the gleanings. First fruits, main harvest and gleanings. And just like the resurrection. And Christ is the first fruits. And those who were raised with him that we looked at and walked about, they walked about in Jerusalem. But he has been raised as absolute certainty. And it's illustrated by the Hebrew harvest of the first fruits in Leviticus 23. And it's an absolute necessity, according to verse 21 to 22. For since by man came death, Adam, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall how many? How many does it say? All. Non-Christian or Christian will be raised. Whether they want to or like to, they will be raised. Stalin and Lenin and Hitler will all be raised. And they'll have to give an answer to Almighty God for what they did. But at a different time than when we're raised. (laughs) There's a resurrection of the just and the resurrection of the unjust. And it discerns that. There is the first resurrection and there's a second resurrection, which we'll consider in a few weeks' time. But it's an absolute necessity 
that the resurrection and the first fruits happen because human history demands it. Back there, it says in Romans 3 and 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23, that's 323. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. It's an absolute necessity. Human history demands that there be a resurrection and a first resurrection. Otherwise, we're all dead in our sins. The wages of sin is death. But, but, because of the resurrection, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5.12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. We are of all men most miserable if this didn't happen, but it did happen. (laughs) And history demands that it happens that we be saved and the prophecies of God in the Old Testament demand that he come through all the types that are given there. Christ's resurrection guarantees our resurrection. In Romans, I said that was the last verse, didn't I? I told a fib. There's Romans 5 and verse 15. But not as the offence, so also is the free gift. For if through the offence of one, Adam and Eve there, many are dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, has abounded unto many. Unto many. Verse 18. Therefore, as by the offence of one, Adam Judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the Lord Jesus, the free gift come upon all men to justification of life. Praise God for the first fruits resurrection, because our hope and our eternity is based on that. God was satisfied, the Father, with his son's sacrifice. We can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and we shall be saved. Confess with your mouth, believe with your heart that God hath raised him from the dead and thou shalt be saved. Come to the Lord today. If you're listening in on the internet, come to the Lord. Trust in him. He has been raised. He is coming again. And there is going to be some great gatherings of the fruit of men and women soon. We look forward to it. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for the promises of the word and for this day in which we remember the first fruits resurrection. Lord, those ones that were raised with you at that time and went and walked around the streets of Jerusalem were blessed indeed to be there early. And part of that first fruits resurrection. But we look forward to being part of the main harvest. The tree is laden with fruit. Just waiting for that wonderful shout and the trumpet. That we might be called the dead in Christ raised first. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the air. And every day Lord we wake up and look forward to that. We anticipate that. We desire it with our heart. But in the meantime, Lord, there are souls to save. The people to repent and turn to you. May they do that. It might hasten the day of 
the main harvest, the great gathering of God, of his beloved. Bless us now who are Christians and may we go our way rejoicing, knowing the word of God. For we ask and pray in Jesus' name.